All right, hello everyone. This is Father Michael Trummer, another episode of the Normal Christian Life. We ended our last podcast talking about some elements of identity. But really, this deserves its own podcast, and it could be a, you could have a whole podcast just on identity, honestly. But it's a, it's a great introduction uh, in terms of hitting these major themes of the normal Christian life. Identity is so huge because everything flows, everything flows from identity. We can be focused on more superficial things of when should I pray? What should I do when I pray? What are the sins I'm working on? What things do I want to learn about? Or just other things happening in life. But interestingly enough, the most important thing can go unnoticed with our identity. And usually the, the core things that we were surrounded by, we tend to not notice. Like, how much do you think about your heart? <laughs> like your physical heart. Like you would you would die without it. It's constantly beating. It's what sustains your your natural life. And yet we, we rarely think about it. So there's many examples of things that we can forget about. But identity is something that we should really uh, sh- should really dig into. I'll just start off with a, something that maybe provides us a good like overview and it's something that I, I bring up often in, in homilies and other talks, but it comes from, I don't know if it originally comes from this, but I'm familiar with it from the Institute for Priestly Formation. It's kind of this uh, broad perspective on identity. And the way they lay it out is, that we're supposed to move from relationship to identity to mission. And that's like the healthy order of things. That our relationship with God uh, gives us a secure identity as a beloved son or beloved daughter. And that our, our mission, our vocation, what God is calling us to, the gifts God gives us to serve others, that those things all f- flow from our identity. So that's like a healthy way of, of having an identity. And the way that I most typically see that getting messed up is that it gets inverted. It gets, it goes backwards so that we see the mission or like what I do is what builds or what, like what constructs my identity. And then once I have that identity, I, I think that I, I'm, I've now earned a relationship that like I've like a relationship will, will now be possible. And we can even do that in our relationship with God. I know I mentioned, I think it was toward the end of the last episode when we were talking about fear of man, just the, the story, Jesus's story of the, the prodigal son and how, you know, both sons in that story really fell into this second way of looking at identity, this second way of, of thinking like I have to earn it. There's something I have to do to be good enough to be someone who's worthy of being a son, and then I can have a relationship, I can enjoy a relationship with my father, rather than seeing it as, uh, as the father says to the, to the older brother, like, everything I have is yours, you're my son. So just that's like a, I know that's a really kind of a deep thing, but to me it's very helpful because I, it helps me to, I, to, to know whenever I've fallen into that mindset just to have like a, a big picture uh, in maybe different ways that we get confused in our identity or our identity can feel 
broken or fragile, I know for myself, it's, I'm always falling into that trap of, of trying to build an identity. Like I have to, I have to do it. I have to achieve it. Yeah. We're all looking for a sense of, we're all looking for a sense of purpose. Many of us want to be maybe gifted in some sort of way. And we also want a sense of value. Identity and value are really connected. And so there's just so many ways that we look for value in the world in general. Basically, you'll try to find your identity in things that the culture values, being attractive, making a lot of money, being successful, being productive. These are the things that the culture values. And so there's probably going to be a temptation for a lot of us to try to find our sense of worth or identity from the things that the culture values instead of uh, from our faith, from God. And then even there can be more noble things. Usually the things that we're good at, we have a tendency to try to place our identity there. And I know that's definitely true in my life. Pretty much anything you can think of that if, if I was somewhat good at it or it made me unique, that was a false place of identity. So initially it was maybe being a class clown when I was in grade school. Later on, I got into video stuff and that was my thing that made me special or set me apart. That gave me a sense of identity. Even later on, I eventually started doing much better in school. Not that I was failing, but I, there's a couple classes I did really well on really, really well in. And I was like, well, maybe I'm one of the smart people. And so it was just thing after thing. And then it was, I, I don't have to share my whole life story, but it was violin, which is a beautiful hobby and sp Spanish. And none of these things were completely evil, but it, it really was characterized by a lot of striving and pressure because that's, I, my, my value was conditional. It wasn't unconditional. And so that's why there's this pressure to establish a sense of value for myself. Building on, uh, what father Michael's saying, um, I've, I mean, I grew up in a kind of uh, homeschooled Catholic community that I think there's a lot of temptations within that context towards driving and perfectionism. Um, and just, yeah, being around a lot of very smart kids who are very, um, you know, friends, but also even just my siblings um, who were all doing excellently in school. And I did well. So but there was so much of an emphasis on those achievements that it became for me growing up kind of a, a place in which I put my identity as well as my creative projects as well. I was also into video like Father Michael. Um, and um, when when I got to that point that I talked about in uh, episode three, where I encountered the love of the Father, really the experience of God's love that had always been there with me and that you know, particularly that experience of sonship that I received at baptism, the experience of it, um, that's where my journey really began. Was, And I just want to, like, just turn from, from, from my story from there real quick to back to Jesus and his baptism experience. I mean, he, he had a full, I mean, a f pretty good uh, stretch there just working as a carpenter and not really doing anything big for the kingdom. You know what I mean? Um, of course he was. Right. Um, 
He lived a profound life of intimacy with the Father before that. But when he goes uh, to John and um, is baptized, by receiving the baptism of repentance, he, he sanctifies the waters of baptism. Uh, but, but even more than just that sacramental kind of thing that happened, I mean, you just see the Father's affirmation of him. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this is not like in reward for all the great stuff that Jesus did in his ministry. Like as Father Chris was saying, this is the beginning. Because what happens? The Spirit that comes upon him drives him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what does the devil do? He, he goes right for the identity. As soon as Jesus has experienced the love of his Father, the devil goes after his identity. If you are the Son of God, right? Why can't you do this? And man, when after I experienced the Lord, the devil went after me. I mean, I had, I had people starting to bully me. I had people just rejecting me around me. And I, this is not, and I did develop some bitterness toward them. And that was a process of healing. Shouldn't have happened. But that, there's going to be a testing once, you, once the devil sees the Father has affirmed you in your identity. You're going to be driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. And you're going to be tested. But I'm just saying the Father loves us unconditionally before we've done anything. And that love is what drives us to be able to persevere through the trials into the mission that he's calling us to. So what was it, Father Chris? What was the... Uh, I, I can never remember these little short things. It was like something identity and mission, right? It was like... Oh, yeah, Re relate, relationship, identity, mission, like R RIM, R-I-M. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, just having that relationship um, and then coming into your identity... You know, who I am. That's what identity is. I, I saw some video, and I think it, was, it wasn't a Catholic video. It was just, but it, it was, um, I don't know, it was some Protestant denomination, I believe, that was just saying, like, this is why you need to watch out for the identity movement, you know. And from what I could see, it looked like it was making the, the argument that talking about identity is ultimately like you're you're just focusing on yourself and it's like it, it becomes narcissistic if you're just all focused on identity all the time right what's my identity you know what's my identity again there's always a danger that you can be narcissistic but like seriously if we don't know who we are what are we going to do what is this bill johnson who said this we preach whatever we believe right so if we believe that we're, you know, the scum of the earth, or we believe that, you know, we're, our identity depends on putting others down or something like that, that's going to, um, that's going to be our gospel. It's not going to be, it's going to be an anti-gospel, but that's what we're going to preach with our lives. And again, if we want renewal in the church, if we want to come into our vocations and live those faithfully, we got to start where it really begins, which is with um, claiming that identity that we've received at baptism. It's so beautiful. And something that just came to me, uh, Joe, as you were saying, you know, people were warning about this identity movement and this kind of makes things all about yourself. And, you know, you can acknowledge that there's that, there's a big trend like in the self-help movement and just kind of actualization, empowerment, and a, a sort yeah. of a secular or just even if it's 
quasi-Christian, uh, it's like a false identity movement maybe, or like, but it's just superficial and uh, maybe trying to baptize what's just like a cultural trend of, of self-empowerment. What's beautiful to me though is, is that what, what is the identity that we're trying to focus on or what is it about our identity that we're trying to become aware of? It is sonship and it, not just like sons and daughters, um, in, in a, a sense of just of that relationship, which is primary, but also like childlike, like becoming, like when we say we're children of God, uh, not just to think of sons and daughters in the sense of, you know, God is our father, but also being like a child. Like Jesus said, unless you acquire the heart of a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So to, to be childlike right. and we have to receive the kingdom as a child. So, um, yeah, the, the relationship with it. God, what's that? You never grow out of it, right? Yeah, you never grow out of it. There are no adults, there are no grown-ups in the kingdom of God. So even whenever the person who is fully aware of his or her identity in God, as a son or daughter of the Father, is the one who's actually most dependent. It's something, Michael, I know you share a lot, is it's like the opposite of how we, we tend to view natural maturation or natural development, where we, we, we think of development and becoming more mature as becoming more independent, as becoming less right. reliant on other people, more autonomous, more self-sufficient. In the spiritual order, uh, our, our identity, we're, we, we're supposed to become more dependent, not in the sense of not being competent or not having gifts or having skills or things to offer, but like Jesus did, Jesus said, the son, and speaking of, his, of himself, the son can only do what he sees the father doing. Like he's just utterly reliant on God the Father. Um, so, you know, this this is extremely profound theology, and it's, it's very rich. Um, and I know we're kind of starting off like heavy with the with the like the big picture and the, the big overview of some of these concepts. But it does come down to, it's so concrete because it's just, it touches every word of our prayer. Like, how do I pray? How do I relate to God? What do I, what am I asking of God? That kind of thing. And even with the enemy tempting Jesus in his identity, he also, in a certain sense, he tempts Adam and Eve in their identity. He's trying to get them to this place of spiritual orphanhood. He's trying to get them to this place of insecurity. And I'm adding, I'm adding words just to the, the devil was saying, just to capture this sense. But basically, it was like, hey, if you follow God's ways, you're going to be lacking. And hey, you can't eat from this tree. Well, yeah, if you can't eat from this tree, you're going to be lacking and God's not going to provide for you. And you have to do this for yourself. When it comes to us fighting the battle of sin, it's not just, oh, I was impatient. Be more patient. I'm tempted to lust. Well, don't lust. Tempted to get angry, whatever it might be. I'm tempted to indulge. We can focus on the surface level things and not focus on the deeper. We can forget about focusing on that deeper reality. The enemy first wants to get us to a place of insecurity, which I think Pope Benedict says he describes insecurity as the fundamental root of sin. I might be paraphrasing that a little bit, but he definitely talks about the significance of insecurity. And so, yeah, just to get them in a sense of insecurity, of 
of lack. And from that place of insecurity, then they're more prone to sin. But to live like a, a spiritual son or daughter, it's this place of security. It's that we have everything we need. And not just in the sense of, okay, God's going to help me pay rent at the end of the month. But the, the deeper things that we long for, like we have value, we have purpose, and most of all that we have, we have love. Yeah, what it just occurs to me that's um, a, sh- a shift that tends to happen is whenever you don't have the security with God, uh, if you if you will, like you know, our our vertical relationship is you know our relationship between us and God. When we don't have security there, we just naturally start to look horizontally at other people. And so there's this beautiful expression. I don't remember where I originally heard it, but the expression is, sons are complete, orphans compete. Sons are complete, orphans compete. Um, so obviously we're... We're supposed to like have relationships. We're supposed to live in community. We're supposed to engage people in the world. Um, but when you don't have security, uh, everybody is kind of a threat. And I, I'm measuring myself. I'm measuring my value in a relative way against everybody else in the room. There's a Catholic speaker at uh, Damascus. He works at Damascus in Ohio, uh, Dan Demite. And he had this great image of just in his own experience. Of, and I've since then, since hearing this, I've made this my own. But he says, like, I used to walk into a room full of people and I'd kind of look around and I'd be worried. And I'd think, like, who in this room will accept me? Like, who can I, you know, who will be safe to be with or whatever? Like, I mean, when he was much younger, he said, now, as soon as I walk into a room, I look around and I think, who needs the father's love? So he, it's literally like, I have what I need. I am totally, I'm secure in my identity. Like I know who I am. I'm not, nobody is th- threatening. You know, no one's going to take that away from me. No one's threatening my identity. Uh, the life is not a zero sum game. Everybody is, is created to receive the father's love. So if, if, somebody else is, is blessed by God. Somebody else is, somebody else shines. Somebody else is blessed and is raised up, is exalted. It doesn't diminish me in any way. It doesn't detract from, from my relationship with him, from my value. So I can walk into a room of people, maybe even very impressive people, uh, in the, in the eyes of the world, you know, people who are accomplished and I can just feel totally safe and secure. And I can go in there and think like, I I have something to offer here. It's a, it's a very, it's a paradigm shift we can make. So maybe as a listener, you could be wondering, well, um, that's awesome um, to be able to live in that freedom, in that sense of security, and that in that sonship or daughtership, you know. Uh, but but maybe you're thinking that's not really my everyday experience. Like, how do you get from the sense of false identity or just an identity that's kind of built on layers and layers of hurt and lies and insecurity insecurity. and when i say lies these are lies from the evil one these are false words that have been spoken over us throughout our lives 
um, that have caused us to form an image of who we are that is not in accord with the Word of God. So, um, as again, as baptized Christians. So, how do we get there? Obviously, it's not just a, simply a matter of thinking good feelings about yourself. Uh, first of all, I mean, you have to, I mean, we have to just, because we're all in this together, we're all making this journey together, rely on the Word of God, as we've been saying throughout this whole podcast. Like, put our faith in that, not put our faith in our our experience. And also, actually, this is something really important, too, just not to ever think that we've just made it, or that we've, like, I think this is good enough. You know what I mean? Um, there's actually several examples that were coming to my mind, like, um, well, first of all, the fact that there were multiple times in my life where the Father reminded me of my sonship. And this even happens in Jesus' life, right? The transfiguration. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, right? So there's multiple times, even in Jesus' life, where his Father reminded him of that. And God may need to remind us that of that throughout our lives as well. And sometimes there are people who have done tremendous work in ministry before they ever even fully realize the, the sense of the, the burden of orphanhood, the yoke of orphanhood that they've been laboring under. So I'm thinking of like Father Mike Scanlon, for instance, who I've mentioned before, he was taking care of his dad in Florida and he just, he was driving through the city district and he just felt this strong temptation to just kind of get out and sample the nightlife and, and all that. And he was kind of terrified by this weird like temptation. And he just, he got to back to his, I guess to his dad's house, and he was like, God, what is going on? And the Lord just revealed to him, it's like, you still believe that you're an orphan. And then he received this, you know, this sense of sonship, the sense of the Father's love. And, I mean, here's the thing. He had already done a lot of work for the Lord at that point in his life. Another example, you know, um, oh, man. Actually, his his name is escaping me. Who's the the, the Norwegian guy? Who's super uh, super anointed? I believe Le he's Norwegian. Leif Hetland. Leif, Leif Hetland, yeah. So he had already been. Um, he'd. I mean, he had received uh, just this huge anointing from the Holy Spirit um, to do missionary work, and he had already brought thousands upon thousands of Muslims to the Lord in Pakistan of all places, and he comes back and he receives um, during during a time of prayer with some people, um, I think this was somewhere, this was when he was back in America, but he's just with his, his friends, and then he receives this, he calls it uh, a baptism of liquid love. He actually heard the Father tell him, um, you are my beloved son. And then that actually was a moment of breakthrough for him, because he was at a point where he felt like his ship had sailed, and he was kind of broken, and, and, and things were done for him. And that was just a whole new second wind for his um, apostolate that he was doing. So what I'm saying is there, like, you can think you can have accomplished a great deal and still even to some level, believe that you're an orphan and that's not to be discouraging. That's just to, just to know that there's always more, there's always more out there. To give a, a concrete example from my own life. Well, let me say this first, just trying to put this in perspective we're trying to be saints. We're trying to be disciples of Jesus. As I said at the beginning, to not get too distracted by the details of, again, what do I do when I pray? Can I focus when I pray? What particular sin do I want to work on? 
but yeah, to really focus on this thing of identity. So let me just tell you from my own experience that uh, I was someone who's like, even in my priesthood, starting out in my priesthood, I'm someone who's definitely prayed a lot. <laughs> I'd listened to endless, endless Catholic podcasts, endless Christian podcasts, read many, many books. I had had wonderful, wonderful friends affirming people. I didn't even really get picked on. Well, certainly not in seminary. That doesn't really happen too much. But even in grade school, high school, I didn't really get picked on. I have always had very loving, affirming parents. And also having great desires, even as a priest. I want to bring other people to Christ. I want to become a saint. Even with all of that, and there wasn't like there was some huge hidden sin or something, just even with all those great uh, those conditions being set right, still, uh, through my priesthood, and I think I've really received a lot of healing, but even starting out as a priest, really not totally rooted in my identity. I could, I could explain to you the teaching. A lot of this stuff is not, this is a thing I say a lot because it's, it's worth saying, this is not just what you'd put on a theology test. True or false? Are you a beloved son or daughter of God? Yes, true. Yes, I was baptized and I received sanctifying grace and I became a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just enough to think this stuff or say it, but to really live it. And so how you live is really a good description of your identity, not what you would answer and a question. But to talk about my own experience, just a lot of striving. And by striving, there's a good way to strive, right? But there's just this sense of pressure. And when when mistakes are made, there's a sense of guilt or burden. And basically my my spiritual life, there's been many good things that the Lord has done. It's not like I just totally misunderstood. But I can tell you that even through my through my life, through seminary, and even as a priest, my my identity or my how I have been living has been twisted by this sense of spiritual self-fulfillment. And it's done from this place of, basically, it's on me. Like, God loves me. He'll forgive me if I mess up. His grace has helped me in some way, but still in some fundamental sense, this depends on me. Yeah, a lot of my my life, even some of my priesthood, I've lived like an employee of God, a very happy, eager, dedicated employee, but not so much from this sense of, not from this sense of security. And so basically what this, and I'm almost done here, but basically what this looks like is this never feeling like I was, was doing enough. And when I would like feel really guilty for wasting a lot of time, basically like in the afternoon I spent, 15 extra minutes watching a, a Jordan Peterson v- video on YouTube. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have been doing something more productive. And there's a sense of just pressure and even a certain sense of shame if I didn't perform right. Or even when I feel like I was tired, I've had some problems with fatigue. And even feeling tired and, and, and feeling really insufficient for not being more inspiring. Or if I gave a homily, I didn't feel like it was clear or inspiring. There's a sense of... I felt less valuable. So yeah, I'll just conclude that even doing great things, praying every day for at least an hour, if not two hours a day, reading the best stuff, it's still easy to get uh, off on this identity. Yeah, something that struck me from what you're saying, Michael, and also from what Joe said before, 
was just the reality of being partially convinced or partially persuaded of the truth of the gospel and to not let the fact that we're not fully convinced of it or that we don't always live as if we believe it, not to let that be a discouragement or like uh, an occasion for self-condemnation, but just to recognize that it's, it's really a consequence of how profound like the mystery is of, of what we've received and the identity that we're, that we spend our whole life entering into. You know, Jesus said, John eight thirty two that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So we're, we're, there's lots of different ways through, through prayer and different experiences that we have that we're, we're becoming more and more convinced of it. It just is a, yeah, as an encouragement to like when you can, you can hear some of our testimonies are just, you know, we're, we're speaking about how, how much we can enter into this and then to, to realize like, man, I still didn't realize, you know, I was like my identity or I wasn't living in my identity. I just, is my own personal experience. This has even happened to me pretty recently. Um, there's been times where I was, I just feeling particularly, I, I've been doing a lot of ministry or, or kind of pouring out and maybe feeling kind of exhausted or like I didn't have much left energy wise or just, yeah, just feeling really poured out. And I've, you know, been doing some, listening to some like praise music and praying and several, it's probably happened to me two or three times that I've, I've listened. There's a song by this band called Maverick City Music. It's called Jira. It's one of God's names, uh, Yahweh Yira or Yahweh Jira, which means like God sees or God provides. Anyway, in this song, there's this, there's this line of the song where it says, talking about God and uh, ourselves and it says you are enough so I am enough and it just repeats that a few times and it's like the most the simplest line ever but it's happened to me a few times where I've just been kind of undone by that line and just been like weeping um, just it's like for a little split moment like I I full like I believe I really believe that I'm enough like that God is enough and so that therefore I am enough and I'm just that moment I'm like convinced of it and it's just like oh, like it's like my shoulders like like just relax and I just um experience like a moment of rest and it just uh kind of melts my heart so I just share that as like again similar to what my brother said I on one level I know it you know I know the truth and I think we can all relate to that well I know really deep down I know this but yeah just to not not be hard on yourself whenever it's very easy just to to get sucked into maybe an, our old way of thinking about our identity or just because there's, although people around us are, are not, uh, maybe not all the people, but some people around us are living that way. It, it's easy to get caught up in that. Yeah, I'll, I'll let uh, Joe hop here in one second. I did want to say that's a sign that we're living according, that's the sign that we are living like a true son or daughter of God. Is that when we, when we fail, when things don't go our way, there isn't this big anxiety or shame or striving. Like I want to be an inspiring priest. If there's times where I feel like I drop the ball or I'm not that inspiring priest, fundamentally I don't have to be an inspiring priest. I strive to do so, and I'm not trying to be too hard on yourself. Say, you know, say, oh no, Father Michael, you're great. It's fine, but. 
when I'm not that inspiring priest, fundamentally the only thing I truly need is is God's love. And when you're convinced that nothing can take that away, there isn't this anxiety and frustration because no matter what happens, no matter how I perform or how ever anyone else performs, I have the thing I most absolutely need. Yeah, really more on this point because it's so so important. Um, it's interesting because we were we were getting ready for this podcast and there was a little bit of time and so I just flipped through the Bible and after a couple just flipping around just very quickly I, I landed on John three, chapter three. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when we are living um, under pressure and we're living um, in striving and we're living, we're trying to conform to all these expectations that we feel that people and God have on us, that is the flesh. That is something that we that we do not need to be baptized to experience. The experience of a baptized person, the life of a baptized person, the calling of a baptized person is not born of the flesh. It's it's born of the spirit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we're we're talking about a life in the spirit. We're talking about a supernatural life. We're talking about living on a level and at a depth of relationship that is simply not possible for just anyone living in the world. It's, it's, we have to believe that. And, um, and again, it's like, if we're living under this pressure as a Christian, and it's the same type of pressure that anyone in the world, any secular person is also under, then we're living in, we're, we're not living, uh, we're not living in the, in the spirit. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. It's, it's basically just, it's, 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 it's a whole, yeah. It's basically just like, like mode of operating that the world does of striving, pressure, anxiety, insecurity, just with a different task. It might not be in the corporate world, but it's basically, we translate, we take those principles and we, we might not realize the problem because we're doing a noble task. But it's still we're trying to live a life in the spirit that's born of the flesh. It's like we're trying to we're trying to draw on our own natural abilities and strengths to live a a supernatural life. We can't we can't like work our way into heaven. It's just utterly impossible. The Catholic Church has never taught that. Right. We can't we can't do it. We can cooperate with the Lord's grace. We can give a yes to the graces he sends us. But I mean, that's really it. I mean, that's that's all that we're really able to do as far as living as a son of of God. That's that's like that's not within our capacity to do just all on our own. Yeah, it's actually like it's like an anti-gospel, because if you think that you still have the same resources and you just have an infinitely harder task, it's just like. Oh yeah, you still feel weak, you still feel unmotivated, you still feel, you know, like you're tempted to all this comparison and striving and you're tired and and now you have to like go bring Jesus to the world and be the light of the world and like convince people of the gospel. It's it's just kind of making an impossible task. Something that occurred to me, Joe, when you were saying, you know, this is a identity that's not available to somebody that's just 
living in the world in that sense. Um, you know, there's really like the the closest like parody uh, of of this kind of identity that we're talking about that people have in the world. It's like if you want to talk about being free from comparison or being free from fear of man, it usually takes the form of a kind of stoic detachment where people uh, are in an unhealthy way totally detached from the opinions of other people or they just don't uh, aren't really interested in in trying to reach other people or have a relationship with other people so that would be on the side of like a kind of freedom or trying to ape or like uh, imitate that kind of freedom that we have in Christ and then on the side of like of contribution of building up the kingdom it it in a worldly sense it always gets turned into my kingdom or like it always gets and you don't have the gospel you end up with like tyranny or ideology and so it's like these these key elements of identity that we're talking about which is like freedom from comparison freedom from competition from striving um yeah that that we don't really have that in an authentic way because we have to just pull away from people in order to not fall into that competition and then if we try to build something really important something bigger than ourselves uh, it's not how God designed the world. It's not how God designed the human heart. And so it, it, it inevitably falls apart. It just It just occurred to me, like, you know, when you say other oh, people can't have this kind of, this, live this way, it's like, well, that's what it looks like, I think, when they when they try to. It takes I one of those. I would say something like, distorted to make forms. sure we really hit on. We've definitely been talking about it, but just to make it very clear, because we're baptized to to realize how much we're loved by God. And that's really the thing that we want more than anything. We want to be loved, seen, affirmed, valued. And so baptism, we can look at the technical theology, as I mentioned before, of that's where someone receives sanctifying grace. That's where become, uh, they'll receive an indwelling of virtues, become a temple of the Holy Spirit. But just to make sure we're very clear that we're really, this is, yeah, this is spiritual adoption. And so God doesn't want us to, sometimes I think we think the love of God is, well, God cares for me a lot, almost like a, almost like a pet or he just loves me a lot. But the, the, the point I want to make is that this, the type of relationship the father has with Jesus, he wants that same type of relationship with you and to to realize that you know we can sometimes think well god he loves sorry god the father loves jesus like a bunch a bunch and then maybe someone like mary he loves her a lot maybe not as much as jesus and the, the saints are below that and the word down there he still loves us a lot but he doesn't love us like he loves jesus and the point is that he does i want to read this thing from john 17 the whole passage is, is really rich but He's praying for those who will believe in him. And he's talking to the father and he says, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to perfection as one. The world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you loved me. Jesus is saying to the father that you love the people that believe in me, my followers, that you love them even as you loved me. Father, they are your gift to me. Wow. Yeah. 
Like you are a gift to Jesus. It isn't just like, well, gosh, these human beings, they sinned. All right, I'll, I'll go down there, Father. I'll take care of it. I'll clean up this mess. Father, they are your gift to me. I wish that I, where I am, they also may be with me. This is what Jesus desires. What does he, what does he wish? What does he desire? That they may be with me. Not just simply that they just stop sinning or just make their way into heaven. That they may be with me. That they may see my glory that you gave me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Last part. I'm skipping the head a little bit. I may note to them your name and I will make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And also in John 16, he says, uh, the, the Father himself loves you. And Father Wilford Stinson says that if he could condense the, the summary of the whole, the whole Bible, the whole Christian faith, it would be that particular verse. The Father himself loves you. Yeah. Wow. As those who are adopted by Christ, we have this divine inheritance. And I talk about this, I use this analogy a lot when I do baptisms. I said, I say, do you think if Elon Musk, let's say Elon Musk adopts adopts a kid, do you think that kid is going to, going to be lacking in money in any way? Is he going to have to worry, oh man, am I going to have enough lunch money this week? When I turn 16 someday, I wonder if I'm going to have enough money even for a used car. The point is, dude, your dad is the richest guy in the world. You don't have to worry about money. And so we have this new inheritance. What is the inheritance that we receive? The scripture talks about us having this inheritance in Christ. What is in that inheritance? Is it money? No. Is it property? No. Fundamentally, it's a relationship. It's access to the Father. It's love. It's love and delight. And this fundamentally is the, is the good news of the gospel. There's different ways you can view it, but... Jesus took on the punishment for our sin and he gave us the blessings of his divine sonship. And so Jesus truly, or sorry, the father truly loves you as he loves Jesus. And if you think that, well, if I do, if I'm really well behaved and I do a lot of good things, God will love me more. You don't understand the unconditional love of God. That's a condition. If you think if I mess up and sin a bunch, God will love me less you still don't fully understand the gospel. You don't understand God's unconditional love. And it's it's liberating that the thing that we to know that the thing that we long for more than anything to be known, to be in relationship, to be loved, to be seen is a free gift. And so that's the starting place. And so everything you everything you do will flow from that. So when you go to work as an accountant, when you go to work as a teacher, when you're a parent, your mother or father, as you're walking the path of discipleship, you're starting from the foundation of I'm already immensely loved. And that is that is liberating. That's that's where we have a sense of freedom. So freedom is definitely freedom and security and confidence. These are characteristics of one who is living like a son or daughter of God. Something that is coming up to me as you're sharing, Michael, is just, I think this is a little bit of a trap or a, more like a plateau that I found myself stuck in for really for years, especially some of the years that I was in, in seminary. 
uh, using again the image of the prodigal son, I would say I was kind of like stuck in the moment where I, the, I'm the prodigal son and I came back to the father and he's, you know, putting the cloak on around my back and the sandals on my feet and the ring on my finger. And I'm just kind of like stunned in that moment. Uh, I had such a powerful experience of God's mercy and God's forgiveness when my life was very broken and I had been given over to sin and I was very far from God. I had such a powerful experience of God's love as mercy that here's the where I got stuck. I took on a kind of problem-focused spiritual life because the experience of God loving you in your brokenness is so powerful, and there's such a contrast between my shame, my feeling of, I absolutely don't deserve to be loved. Father, I no longer deserve to be called your, called your son. And then to, despite all that, to be forgiven. Uh, it's so powerful that the, the risk, though, is like uh, you kind of like your, your maybe your whole spiritual life of your whole or your whole way of relating to God is like, well, what is the messed up thing about me next that you're going to fix God? Or like, what's the next place of sin or brokenness that needs healed? And it is true that we always need to return to the Father. We always need to be forgiven. We, you know, we 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 do fail. We fall into sins, and and we are never going to be perfectly whole in this life. Yeah, we need to repent. Uh, you know, that's why we start every mass with with the penitential rite and asking for God's forgiveness. But when you make that step to wanting to see, as I shared that thing from Dan Demite, who needs the Father's love? I've experienced God's forgiveness. I've experienced God's mercy and love. How am I going to share that with other people? And when you realize that you have an inheritance, when you've received so much, and when you start to pour it out to other people, it's like I didn't know how much I had been filled until I started to pour out. You know, we talked. To, we were talking in some of the previous episodes about the danger of in our kind of consumer culture about becoming like consumer Christians where we just receive, 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 and we don't pour out. We don't, we don't give. And so what's occurring to me with like, you know, going back to our thing from the beginning, relationship, identity, mission. Uh, we don't know, you know, what the prodigal son did after, after the party. Uh, everybody loves to celebrate, you know, being forgiven and, and the party. And like, that's beautiful. That's amazing. It's like, he had to. He had the ring. You know, he had the right. The ring was the symbol of being a full, you know, f- having right to do business as a family member, as the father's son. It's like, what are we going to do with the inheritance that we received? Now that I've been forgiven, now that I've been restored, how, how am I going to live that out? Like, how am I going to? Am I going to just kind of keep trying to relive that experience of, of being forgiven uh, and stay there? Or, yeah, I think there's like a Lots of different images for it. Uh, uh, one image is like the Dead Sea, that it's dead precisely because it doesn't have an outlet. Like there's nowhere, it doesn't flow out to anything else. Water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. So we don't want to uh, just keep that grace of God, keep the mercy of God for ourselves, but know that we've been poured into so that we can also pour out. Yeah, we've we've received everything that we need and this has been probably one of the hardest lessons for me to learn is that i already have everything that i need god like what are you talking about god it's like <laughs> look at me uh you know i got this and this and this and this wrong 
And God's like, no, you are equipped for everything that you need. And that's kind of like what Father Chris is saying, but going back to Father Michael a little bit, um, just the, the primacy and the importance of love for even getting to that point. Um, so I, I, this past year, I've had some just some pretty interesting uh, curves and, you know, bends in, in the road for me in my journey with the Lord. And, and uh, I, actually, for a number of weekends, I would go out to this, uh, these hills, these wooded hills, and just walk during the day and just have a silent retreat on a Sunday, like for six hours. I just bring like a book and I just be there alone by myself. And one of the things the Lord showed me was, um, he just, I was just sitting down here and I was just, this scenario popped into my mind. It's like, what if, and this is a little embarrassing to admit, it's like, what if I was like the most attractive dude that ever lived? Obviously, like this is purely, purely <laughs> imaginary scenario. Just, just kidding. It's not that bad. But, um, Hey, there's a reason why our faces aren't on the thumbnail. Just kidding. I will. Give yourself, give yourself uh, okay. some credit. But <laughs> it, that was kind of how it manifested itself to me. This thought I was like, okay, great. It's like, I'll be like the most loved person ever. And so just, I was just imagining, okay, so like there is no one who wouldn't be dying to be my friend or a lover or just like, yeah, man, he's the absolute coolest. But here's the thing. Once the thought would pop into my mind that if I didn't have one of these qualities or if I lost one of these qualities, just the, the possibility that one day I wouldn't have all of this, I couldn't be all this, it would all be lost. Why? Because what we desire when we desire to have every charming and desirable quality is that we desire to be loved perfectly. That's what we want. That's why we want to be all those things and why we try to forge an identity for ourselves. So imagining that I had, I had got there, like I had forged an identity for myself where I'm just the most desirable person that ever lived. And I'm loved perfectly because of those qualities but just the possibility that I might not have all those qualities and so may not be perfectly loved, you know, like that would kind of ruin it. So this is why it's the unconditional love of God. That's the foundation for happiness. We can be perfectly happy because we're perfectly loved. And I, I just, it, because we're perfectly loved, we have everything that we need right there, especially if we're baptized, we are fully, fully equipped, right? And if we're not baptized, we should get baptized. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, maybe to, not quite the second, but to start landing the plane, maybe we can just talk about some practical ways of, okay, someone might be thinking, I don't perfectly live like a beloved son or, or daughter of God, even if I know intellectually that truth. There's times where I'm, comparison com, making comparisons with other people i'm competing with people especially people you know if you're a guy in the business world you're probably not going to compare yourself or compete with a uh, a mom who you know lives and works at home so but anyways so maybe you're thinking yeah maybe i have, i compete i compare i live with a lot of anxiety and striving even in my prayer even in my relationship with god i never feel like I'm enough. 
I feel like I always need to be better, do more in some sort of way. Not out of a maybe a, a true, sincere desire to bless other people, but maybe just to substantiate oneself, to give oneself a sense of value. Maybe just to talk about practical things. How can we live? What can we do to live from this place of identity? And so, Father Christopher and Joe, feel free to share. Something that I would say is super important is, is one, recognizing the, the characteristics of a spiritual orphan that I mentioned and recognizing the characteristics of uh, a spiritual uh, adopted son or daughter of God. Freedom, security, peace, um, ease, not a sense of burden. My main nugget for you all, and I want to eventually do a podcast on this whole topic, is shame. I think shame is its so widespread. Shame is, is present everywhere. It's one of the primary negative side effects of living in a fallen world. It's something that characterizes our fallen human experience so much. And shame, basically, there's things that you and I do that are wrong. So one, there, there's things that we should do that we're not doing. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's reading the Bible. It's coming to know God more. It's loving other people in our life. And there's things that we shouldn't do, our, our sins. And yeah, basically basically our sins. Because, of, because we're not doing what we should be doing, or we do things that are wrong, we feel bad, which a sense of contrition isn't wrong, but basically because we've not done what we're supposed to or we've done something wrong, we feel separated from God. What happens in shame is that because we mess up, we actually hide from God, and then there's this felt sense of distance from God. We mess up, we're not doing what we're supposed to, even after we've repented, even even after we went to confession, so we're messing up and we feel further away from God and we translate this felt absence from God as his expressed disappointment in us. And this might be a conscious, it might not be conscious at all. And I can tell, tell you from my experience, really looking into shame to see what are the things that I've, maybe what are reasons I think God might be disappointed in me while well, I don't pray enough, I don't do this enough, I'm not more loving. Acknowledging these places of, our places of inadequacy and bringing those before God and realizing that although God isn't, although God wants us to grow in love and grow closer to him, these things don't change his love and delight for us. So I think shame is, I think is a contradiction to, to say that someone can fully experience the, um, fully live and experience the delight and love of God and have a, a bunch of shame. It's precisely the more like they, they inhabit the same space, like your heart. Like if there's, if it's filled with shame, there's not room for God's delight. And the more shame you get rid of, the more of God's love and delight you will experience. He's not going to love you more or delight you more. You're just simply going to experience that and actually feel that you will actually start to feel I actually feel loved by God. And I used to wonder, what does it mean to feel like a beloved son or daughter of God? It's it's basically sensing or feeling the goodness of your being. Yeah. That is what it means to feel God's delight, is to, f- to feel or sense the goodness of your being. So I'm not fully addressing that 
uh, topic now, but that's just a, a really important thing to lean into. Yeah, I just I need to say something real quick. I was on pilgrimage, um, so actually a little more than a year ago, and I had an experience where I was shocked, just all like anew. I was shocked at having this inner sense of how I think Our Lady, Our Blessed Mother, and Jesus saw me versus how I saw myself, because I had been living under shame for so many previous years i just i had been in seminary i had left i had tried religious life and left and i had just kind of started to give up on myself a little bit and um and it was on that was kind of the turning point honestly in my life was on this pilgrimage and just sensing whoa they see me so differently than i see myself and what they see the potential and and the good that they see in me um just wow and and that's and that's again it's so important to tap into the reality of what your baptismal identity is of what your divine sonship is what you see of yourself every day looking in the mirror is very 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 likely not the reality you just you just have to accept that, and it's it's hard. We we are so like, oh, this is what this is how I see myself every day. It's like this has got to be true. It's like not necessarily, not at all. You know, I I just feel a little bad that I've not been able to really answer as fully as I want the question of how do you get from there, you know, from there to or from where you might be now if you struggle with loving yourself in a healthy way to knowing that you're a divine son or daughter. But of course, we'll we'll get more into all this. You know, we'll get into priest, prophet, and king, ultimately. And, um, you know, prophecy specifically, how that, when we build each other up using our prophetic gifts, how that helps affirm each other in that sonship, in the truth of who God is calling us to be. Like, that is one of the greatest, that is a tremendous gift. And that was related to my experience that I had on the pilgrimage, actually, was a prophetic word that kind of helped lead to that. So, again, just, yeah, do not do not just trust in your life experience prior to this, but really believe in the promise of God. For In terms of, of practical things, uh, one of the things that's probably the biggest, like, comparison trap, and that will just prevent you from getting plugged into what God says about you and listening to God's word is, and this is kind of everybody's favorite, like whipping boy, but um, just social media and not, I'm just not talking about social media in every way and in general, but just, I think look at how you spend your time, what kind of voices you listen to and it, especially um, something like social media where just the very nature of it is lends itself to comparison and just to constantly be, it, it puts you in a space where you're just always evaluating yourself over and against other people, how you imagine other people's lives to be, uh, how you imagine their experiences to be. And this just sort of idealized portrayals of, of whether it's celebrities or just people, you know, um, just this kind of very, non it's not a good representation of of people's lives and and i mean obviously there's plenty of 
update out there of how people become more depressed and anxious when they're spend too much time on it. But, uh, I know it's a little bit of a cliche tip, but it's, it's so huge. If you find yourself just spending a lot of time, um, this is the, it's a comparison kind of cesspool social media. Finding some ways to bring things to light, specifically with our places of shame. One, I think in prayer, especially through journaling, journaling is really helpful in helping us get thoughts, what's happening inside of us out of our head, but bring a journaling that and directing that towards God, places of inadequacy, places of shame, places where we feel like we're not valuable. That would be a big thing. It is helpful to bring these places of shame and be vulnerable with other people in our life, to be vulnerable with friends, to be more transparent. And I think I can say this, Joe, uh, I know even Joe and our and our friendship, uh, we've always been very close, but I even sense that you've really healed a lot from shame as well. And I remember you were much more reserved in how you talked about things. You, you talked about struggles, but you didn't really, I really never knew what you were struggling with and I didn't want to pry. But then even more recently, just how you and I can both just be very transparent about places of inadequacy or just things that we feel um, just, just a lot more specific with our, our vulnerability. Um, I mean, I've gone that too, but I've especially noticed that in you. So that's really helpful. And then something that was really transformative for me was I had this idea earlier in my priesthood, really from the Holy Spirit of, it wasn't that I didn't feel forgiven for my sins. I definitely did. But, you know, when you confess something, the priest doesn't need all the details for it to be forgiven. But in terms of healing shame, shame is healed from bringing things to the light. And so early in my priesthood, I just, it was a, a renewal of contrition and this confession, but I went through my life and I saw the most embarrassing things that I had ever done. And I actually confessed them very specifically and in detail. And just, yeah, things that, things that I maybe confess more generally speaking, and just to be more specific it was absolutely liberating. And after that point, just a sense of, I don't know, this, this nagging sense of inadequacy that we kind of feel hovering over us, it was just gone. Praise Jesus. And after that point when I would fail or maybe not perform as, I, as well as I would like, there's just so much more peace about that. And just really after that point, a, a great acceptance of God's delight and feeling his delight. It wasn't just a concept. It wasn't just saying over and over, which is a good thing to do, but it was more than just saying, okay, well, I'm a beloved son. I'm a, I'm a beloved son, but really starting to experience that more. So again, shame is definitely something to be addressed in a future episode, but that would be my concluding thought. I'm just going to like close what father michael was saying specifically with just i just glanced over at john 3 again and i just noticed this um jesus and nicodemus are having this conversation about baptism and then you have john three sixteen: for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life so there's justification right there so that's the beginning of the journey but then it goes on and people don't quote this part as much but just on exactly on what Father Michael said, there's such a connection here. It says, um, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
And that, that, that applies to all of us. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. So that is such a huge key to entering into the freedom of our identity. Freedom of our identity is baptized children of God. I'll say a closing prayer for us all. Uh, in terms of resources, I actually, I think we would all like to make a shout out to uh, Mike Nolan. He has a, a ministry called Shadow on the Water. He has a podcast called Shadow on the Water. And Mike is, he is really the, he is the master of identity. I've learned more about identity from him than anyone. And there's a lot of good resources and even there's a book that's really was really helpful for me called Be Healed that we'll talk more about in the future that talks about emotional and spiritual healing. And it's definitely great on that topic, but uh, nothing, nothing has quite helped me understand identity, especially as a beloved son or daughter of God, as the resources from Mike Nolan, whether it's conversation or his, his podcast. So if you want to dive deep into Shadow on the Water, he is an awesome podcast and we'll have him on soon. He also has a something on his website. He has a series on identity. So just want to offer that little practical recommendation. But I'll go ahead and con- close us with a concluding prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I ask you to pour out your spirit of adoption over everyone, over the church, especially those listening to the podcast right now. Father, through... Uh, your eternal perspective, even as we're praying this prayer at a different point in time, that you would send your spirit of adoption right now into whoever is listening to this, that they would know that they are your beloved son or daughter, and I ask that they would come to experience this truth. They would feel and sense the goodness of your being, that they would believe and know that you love them, Father, that you love them as you loved your son, that you love them as as you love your son Jesus, but also as much. Father, as you send the light of uh, the light of your son Jesus to cast out any shame from anyone, those places where maybe they felt like a bad son or daughter, father or mother, husband or wife, where they felt like a bad disciple, where they felt shame for not praying more, for not taking their faith more seriously for the sins that they might repeat over and over and over again. I just to cast out that shame and help everyone receive your un- unconditional love that does not come from our performance, but it's a free gift because of what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to give us this, your spirit and to let us share in your divine life and that you've invited us into the family of the Trinity. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.